0: Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. A Perfect Promotion is a promotional marketing company with locations in Illinois and Indiana. They specialize in logoed items, as well as screen printing and embroidery contact them through their website, aperfectpromotion.com, and let A Perfect Promotion help you with your next business event or promotion. Sarah Jane Case is the founder of Enneagram and Coffee, and she is an incredible teacher of the Enneagram. Personally, she's extremely gentle, and when I invited her to be my guest, she quickly said she does not share the same faith as I do but I encouraged her. She has so much to share and I wanted to learn from her. I think you will gain an incredible insight into yourself and others after completing this episode, where she gives numerous examples of why we are motivated in different ways and how we can grow to become the healthiest versions of ourselves. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Sarah Jane.
1: I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Will you just start by giving us a quick snapshot of yourself?
1: Absolutely. So I am Sarah Jane. I'm a speaker and an author, and I work primarily with the Enneagram as a tool for self-compassion, especially for entrepreneurs. That's really my zone of genius. I created an Instagram account called Enneagram and Coffee and a podcast called Enneagram and Coffee. and. It's just a fun, light way for us to approach a really deep, intimate subject.
0: And you do an incredible job, and you're so creative. But now that we know you just a little bit better, I would love for you to also help the listeners know themselves better, too. And I just want to start with this basic question in light of the Enneagram. How do we identify our type? Mm -hmm.
1: So I really say, you know, one of the biggest things that, We look at when we think about the Enneagram is, you know, how does it compare to something like the Myers Briggs or the Disc or Strength Finders? And the big difference is that those things are really talking about our personality, what we do. The Enneagram is really focused on why we're doing it. And it's more about our character structure, more about what causes us to do the things that we do in our life. So when it comes to the Enneagram, there are all of these maybe behaviors that each type might exhibit. But the real way that you're going to be able to identify is looking at each motivation, basic fear, worldview of the individual Enneagram types and see which one really sticks with you. One of my favorite teachers, Dr. Jerome, he talks about how which one of the numbers, if you're not allowed to have the thing that you think you want, do you react the most intensely to? Because your brain is wired in such a way that it's going to have a very, very big response to being restricted in the things that our basic type structure desires.
0: That's fascinating. And this is kind of a recap. We've had other guests on before, so I will link to those different episodes in the show notes so they can go back. But could you just give us a bird's eye view of the numbers one through nine
1: so people can start to self-identify? Absolutely. So the Enneagram, again, it's it's set up in a circle, so we can start at the top of the circle, which is our body triad, our anger triad, and that's types eight, nine, and one. Type eight is the challenger. Their main focus is on not being controlled. Um, our type nine is the peacemaker. Their main focus is on their own peace of mind. We have type one, the reformer. Their focus of attention is on reforming themselves and the world around them. And then we have to the right side of the circle, we have the heart triad or the feeling triad, maybe the shame triad. So that's types two, three, and four. This type two is the helper. Their focus of attention is on being loved and being liked. Then we have type three, the achiever. Their focus of attention is on being successful, finding their worth. And then we have type four, which is the individualist. And their focus of attention is on finding and expressing their identity. And then we have the head triad or the anxiety triad, types five, six, and seven. Type five is the investigator. Their focus of attention is on being competent and capable. And then we have type six, the loyalist. The type six's focus of attention is on being safe and secure. And then we have type seven, the enthusiast. And their focus of attention is on having satisfying experiences and not being trapped in emotional pain.
0: Thank you for that recap. And again, this hopefully isn't someone's first introduction to the Enneagram. There are plenty of resources. We're kind of anticipating you coming in already knowing your number, or at least having it narrowed down to a few. And Sarah Jane, I think I've even heard you say before, it's such a process to discover your number through reading or podcasts. They can look at your Instagram posts. Are there any other ways that people could identify their number?
1: Yeah, honestly, I recommend getting a good book or going to the Enneagram Institute website and really just going through and exploring them. A couple of books that I love are The Road Back to You is a really good entry point. Sacred Enneagram is really a compassionate viewpoint of it. And then Beatrice Chestnut, she wrote the complete Enneagram, which dives deep into subtypes, which can really help you if you are kind of struggling on your type. You could be a counter type or your subtype might exhibit a little bit differently than the core, the typical kind of stereotypical description of your number. So that might be a really good resource as well.
0: Awesome. We will certainly link to those in our show notes at thesavvysauce.com and also on our resources page. So if somebody's already identified their number, can you briefly give an example of how the Enneagram is active, and specifically by sharing more about where each of the numbers go, both in stress and in rest? Yes.
1: So this is my absolute favorite part of the Enneagram because I think it is the most actionable. It's the most interactive. So each number moves to a different number in a season of stress or in a season of rest. What this can look like, it can be circumstantial. It can be like maybe you're stressed in your relationship, but you feel really restful in your business, or maybe you feel vice versa. It can also look like a season, like I'm in a real season of stress, and so I'm showing up as this other number for a little while. It can also look like you, you know, how sometimes we intentionally try to be someone else. And so we might try to show up as our stress number and that can be really stressful for us. So an example of what this can look like is if you are a type seven, let's say, and you move to type one in a season of stress. So and it can be an indicator that you're stressed out. You can see how You know, maybe you're starting to have really strong opinions about the things that people are doing in your life. You're starting to have some black and white thinking, some right and wrong thinking, which isn't necessarily in your typical type structure, but it's showing up. It's kind of rearing up. Or maybe you're being hyper self critical. That's a really good indicator that you're in need of some self care, some rest, some relaxation. Another thing that can happen, though, is that type 7s can try to live out of this one space because our society really rewards the type 1 energy of showing up every day consistently, you know, refining things over and over and over again. So a type 7 might try to live out of that space. And for them, that would just be really stressful. And this rest move down to 5 for our 7 can look like, being more comfortable spending time at home alone. It can look like going really, really deep into one subject instead of going shallow into lots of different subjects. The other thing to keep in mind with these lines is that you can intentionally climb up either of the lines. So a lot of times we hear earlier teachings of the Enneagram talk about how the stress move is to the lower levels of health of the number you move to. But a lot of Enneagram teachers now and a lot of the school of thought now is moving more toward, you can climb up to the higher levels of health of that number as well, or you can accidentally slip down into the lower levels of that number. So a way that, you know, let's say a type 7 can move into type 1 would be really intentionally bringing routine into their life, bringing a little bit of consistency in, committing to the things that they have agreed to do, maybe taking the extra steps to really refine something instead of just putting it out there. So that can be an intentional use of the one that can actually prevent the lower level move of the stress because you, if you create a good routine in your life, you might not have the same intense stress that you might have as a seven overbooking, overcommitting, trying to fit a bunch of things into a short amount of time, that kind of thing. So that's basically some ways to think about it. The reason that I like this is that it is actionable. So right, you can pay attention to yourself. The Enneagram really is a tool for studying who you are and how you show up. And the lines are a really active way to do that, to say like, what part of me is a one today? What part of me is a five today? How is this showing up? Each number does move to specific numbers. So you can see on on the Enneagram chart where a number moves to in stress and where it moves to in rest by the two lines that, that are moving to it and from it.
0: And if you said this is definitely your wheelhouse, let's just take some time and go through each of them. That was incredibly helpful for a seven. Um, Let's just keep going with an eight. What are some examples of what it looks like for them to live
1: in stress and rest? Mm -hmm. So our eights, when they feel safe, they feel open, they can move to two, which can be a lot more. Open, warm, loving, vulnerable. I like to say that eights are kind of like this ooey gooey center of a two inside of this like concrete armor shell. So, eights really appear very hard and tough, but inside they are warm and ooey and gooey and loving. And when they feel safe, that shell starts to open up, that armor starts to come off. Now, what that can also look like on the low end for our type eights is that they can really become overprotective of the people in their lives, kind of overgiving and overly loyal to the people in their lives to the point of, of burnout. And then we have eights move down to five when they're stressed out. So what that can look like is fives can really isolate, close themselves off. They kind of turn that that suit of armor into a big old tower that they hide inside of, and they can really become a lot more isolated and also a lot more I want to say indignant, but like <laughs> I'm trying to find a nicer word, a lot more opinionated about what they know versus what someone else might know, really thinking that they know everything and that there's no, nothing more to learn. The type nine, they move to type three when they are in a season of rest. So when they feel safe, they feel open, they feel comfortable, they're a lot more likely to go take action on the things they want to do, a lot more comfortable putting themselves out there, a lot more okay with being seen for who they exactly are, then our stress move for the type 9 is over to 6. So type 9s can get into that worst case scenario thinking a little bit of worrying a lot about their future discomfort and disqualifying ideas and, and things they want to explore well before they even take action on it. Then we have our type ones. Our type ones move to type seven. So when they feel open, restful, comfortable, they become a lot more playful, a lot more spontaneous, a lot more comfortable with putting things out there, not feeling like they have to be perfect. They really value progress over perfection in that space and then they move down to four when they're stressed out or when they're in a season of stress. And what I see in in a lot of the ones that I've worked with is that this is really coming from their place of repressing their anger. So ones will push the anger down and, and it has to come out somehow. And sometimes this comes out in that deep, lower levels of the four, almost in a form of like desperation or intense and emotional expression and just being done with repressing and ignoring their anger and really needing that anger to be seen and heard and experienced. And also it can look like deep self-abandonment, really turning on themselves and not being there for self-support. Then we have type two. Type two, when they feel comfortable and open and restful, they move to type four, which just means they're a little bit more self-referencing, a little bit more comfortable being on their own. Um, They might prioritize their needs over the needs of the people in their life, and they will be a lot more likely to reference, you know, what do I want? What do I need? And how can I meet those? They also are a lot more comfortable expressing their own identity. You know, what is it that You know, really putting a lot of that inner experience inward instead of all of their energy outward. And then in stress, type twos might move to type eight, really openly expressing their anger, being a little bit more conflict forward. What can happen for a lot of times for twos is this buildup of resentment. They give, they give, they give, they give, and then they don't feel like they're getting enough in return, but they have kind of unmet expectations because those expectations haven't been communicated. So on the high end of eight, they can set healthy boundaries. They can communicate expectations straightforward. They can ask exactly for what they need. But on the low end, that slipping down can look like building up and then exploding or really getting to the point where like they're done before they ever really ask for what they want or they need. Then we have type three. Type three, when they feel open, they feel safe. When they're in a state of rest, they can move to type six, which for a lot of type threes, this can look like building up a community, really bringing people around them, that competitive nature is kind of exchanged for that rising tide lifts all boats attitude, really wanting other people to succeed and thrive with them. And then in stress, they move to type nine. A lot of threes experience this roller coaster energy thing where they go really, really hard and then they crash. Type nines are, are kind of known for wanting to numb out to life, not necessarily like they are you know, the lazy word gets used around nines and I I disagree with that language. What I would say more is that they just kind of want to tune out. And so threes can really go into that space, wanting to tune out, wanting to numb down, really making themselves wanting to blend in a little bit more. And that can be that stress move for our threes. The type So the type four, when they feel open, they feel safe, they feel secure, and they're in rest, they might move to type one. So they become a little bit more disciplined, a little bit more structured. They become consistent in their behaviors and actions. They may be more drawn to routine. Also more comfortable with day-to-day activities. Some of the work for our type fours is that they don't really like to live in the average space. They either want to be like the tragic failure, or they want to be like the height of success, this normalcy in the middle ground is really unappealing. And that can look like day-to-day tasks, like doing taxes, going to the post office. It's really unattractive to the deep romanticism of a four. So some of that healthy one, some of that rest can look like tending to your life, tending to your day-to-day life, accepting the normalcy of being human. And then the stress move for our type fours is up to two. What can we can see is fours kind of have this deep fear of abandonment. And so they might find themselves being a little bit codependent in attempts to maintain relationship. They may find that they overgive or overflatter in order to be seen the way they want to be seen in order to have the alliances they want to have. They also may find that they're overgiving and under receiving in certain seasons or in certain relationships. Then we have type 5. Type 5 moves to type 8 when they feel open, secure, and in rest. That means that they're just more likely to be up front, be more direct, ask for what they need. They also are likely to take more action on the things they want to do. And then over to their stress move is they move up to type 7, which they can become a lot more scattered, a little bit flighty, um, a little bit less likely to commit and follow through. Then we have type six. Type six in a season of stress moves to type three. A lot of times what we see is type sixes in in corporate America working and trying to be a type three, trying to climb the ladder, work their way up. And that's actually a really stressful space for our type sixes. Type sixes really appreciate the day-to-day running of the company they don't always want to be in charge sometimes they I've heard type 6s say to me like I want to hire the person in charge but I don't want to be the one in charge so when they try to take on that sp- that energy or that space which is highly rewarded in corporate america the in- the three space it can be a really stressful space to live in the other thing that I've heard 6s say is that when they feel stressed out they become much more competitive a lot more aware of how well other people are doing in comparison to them and they can become critical of the people who they feel like they're in competition with. Then the rest move for our type six is to type nine, that peacemaker energy, the space of I'm not going to worry about the things that don't matter. I'm going to release the things that I can. I'm going to only worry about the things that I can control. A lot of that picking your battles energy comes in from that nine move and really letting yourself be present with the moment and not trying to see the future.
0: Wow. Sarah Jane, you are an incredible teacher. And for some people I know in conversation, I've heard others who were not sold on the Enneagram until they realized they had maybe mistyped themselves. And then it made much more sense when they figured out what their actual number was. So are there any common ways that we would mistype ourselves?
1: Hmm. I'm glad you said that because I think when someone's ambivalent to the Enneagram, I usually assume that they haven't found their type yet because once you find your type, it is so deep and meaningful and insightful that it's hard not to feel passionate about it, even if it's just so that other people can see you accurately. So with that being said, I think a lot of times what people do is they take a test online, they get the result, and they assume that the test knows them better than they know themselves. And the reality is that these tests, most of them are 50 to 80% accurate at best. And so we have to keep in mind they're testing on motivation, and it's really hard to do that. A lot of people type as a type 2. I typed as a type 2 because the questions for type 2 are like, is it important to be helpful? And of course, I'm going to say yes, right? Like, of course, it's important to be helpful. But that doesn't mean that helping is my number one priority. It doesn't mean helping is something that I even really want to do, to be quite honest. But we have to get really, really honest with ourselves. And the tests have to be really creative with their answers in order to get us to answer honestly. So all of that being said, number one is people take the test for face value, And I really encourage you to go in, read all the numbers, do the research. It's well worth the energy because even if you don't find your number through reading it, you will still understand people and humans so much better that you will be a better partner, a better boss, a better employee, a better friend just through doing this research. But I also think you're likely to find yourself in there as well. So read it all up. And the other thing is if you read all the types and you're deciding between a couple, you might want to start looking at, do these numbers connect in any way? You know, if you think you're a seven and a one, well, we know there's a line between the two of those. So which one could be your core type and which one could be the one you are in stress? Does that give you a little indicator? The other thing to keep in mind is that there are subtypes. So Each number has three distinct subtypes. We all have all three of them. Typically, one of them will rise to the surface as our dominant. And what this means, it's just the three ways that we survive as humans, right? There's um, one-to-one or intimacy. Then there's social, which is just where are we in the social order. There's self-preservation, which is just like basic needs, keeping me alive, and also the family unit. So what can happen here is that in all of these, there's a counter type underneath those subtypes and they add a little bit of flavor. And it just means that we might show up in behavior a little bit differently than the way that we're motivated. So you might be a seven who is, you know, self-oriented wanting to get their needs met, but a social seven is aware, right? That if you focus on getting your needs met and you just do what you want all the time and you go after everything that you want, then the social order doesn't really have a place for you because you're going to get ostracized. It's just not how you stay relevant to the social order. So if you want to be relevant to the social order, you're going to acquiesce your needs a little bit more. You're going to be a little bit more self-sacrificing because people like that. And so if you want to be liked by people, that's what you do. And so the social seven might exhibit a little bit more like a two, even though they're still motivated by seven behaviors. So if you go through the first few steps and you still can't type yourself, if you're feeling torn between two different numbers or three different numbers, you might want to really go into subtypes and look for the counter types and see if one of those fits you. And now a brief message
0: from our sponsor. Do you want your logo on something? A perfect promotion will find a way to do it. A perfect promotion has been in business for over 30 years and they are a company that truly cares about their client and their client's vision. Their mission is to provide value to a company's marketing strategy through promotional marketing items. They work with you to achieve your business or marketing goals while taking the burden of research off your shoulders. If you don't want to spend all day looking for the best brand of t-shirt for your event, then a perfect promotion can do the research for you and send you all the options they think will best fit your needs. They will give you excellent service and pricing, which makes you never have to look anywhere else. I have worked with them to produce pop sockets and stickers for the Savvy Sauce, and I've enjoyed interacting with their friendly staff, and their products come out better than I could have hoped for. Check them out today at aperfectpromotion.com. Let's do a few more because those examples are really helpful. Let's just take nines. What Mm -hmm. would each of those subtypes look like for a nine? And how would the counter type show up
1: for a nine? Yeah, so we have each of the subtypes are focused on different things, right? So we have the intimacy, which is the one to one, that's a little bit more um, wanting to make direct eye contact, wanting to connect on an intimate level. This type, they are more likely to merge in relationships. So if you know a nine who maybe looks a little bit differently depending on who they're seeing or who they're dating, that is likely the sexual nine or the one-to-one nine. Um, So they're more likely to take on emotions, feelings, and beliefs of those that they're close to. They also may lack a little bit more of a sense of structure and certainty in their life as they seek that through other people. And then we have the social nine. This nine is prioritizes the group's needs above their own. So they may become kind of an overworker, especially if their group that they're wanting to prioritize is the people at work. So if people ask them for things, they're not going to want to let them down. This type is a lot more leadership oriented. So if you're a type nine and you're like, yeah, but I'm really hardworking, I'm a leader, I don't relate to all of these like numbing things that you're talking about, then you might be a social nine. A social nine can look a lot more like a three or a two, a lot more action-oriented, a lot more upfront. They can be a lot more outgoing and energetic. Then we have the self-preservation nine, which they focus more on physical comfort, um, participating in comforting activities. They really appreciate routine. They're really more focused about like what's really here in this moment over abstract ideas or concepts. They're a lot more likely to want alone time. Uh, They're also very cheerful, fun-loving. But I'm really focused on how does my experience feel? Is it comfortable to me? That is so
0: helpful. Could you give one more example from a different triad, maybe a two or a
1: three, how this would play out? Yeah. So let's talk about type three. So the counter type of type three is a self-preservation three. So most threes, right, They're all threes are driven by their relationship to success or vanity. Now the self preservation three, they're going to have kind of a conflicted relationship to that. They're going to be a lot more likely to suppress that and not really want that to be up front. Um, so they may want to be recognized for the things that they do, but be really quiet about it, but secretly wishing for it. That might look more like a one or a six because there's this duty element to the to the self preservation three. This, you know, they're really put on the ground doing the work, and they're not as focused on how they're being seen. The self-preservation three is also really self-sufficient. They're focused on being the best at every role that they take on in life. So this can look like wanting to be the best mom, wanting to be the best coach, wanting to be the best you know, employee. They're really focused on spreading that wide. They become a lot less appearance-oriented, but really work hard to be great at everything that they do. They kind of reject the desire to be noticed for their achievements, but that doesn't mean the desire is not still present. Then we have the social three, which is the most able to bend the way they show up so they can kind of read a room and show up in a way that makes other people feel comfortable around them. They're the most focused on higher and higher levels of success, really wanting to climb the ladder. They're the most competitive of the three subtypes, and they're focused on relationships that will help them achieve their goals. These are great networkers. They're always looking for who can I meet to help me get to the next level. And they're a lot more likely to be wanting to be seen as successful and therefore can really struggle with imposter syndromes, feeling like they're overselling themselves while inside maybe they don't feel as qualified as they sound out loud. And then we have the sexual subtype of three. And this is the type that's most focused on just finding a partner. They may not be as work-oriented and may really prefer to feel beautiful over obtaining material success. They're really focused on finding the perfect partner or the perfect person to share their lives with. They're an enthusiastic supporter of the success of other people, which can mean that they have a partner who's highly successful, that they're really proud of, and they really want to lift them up. Really, honestly, for this subtype, being attractive is plenty for them. There's a, less of a drive toward achieving their own goals and more um, wanting to be desired.
0: Okay. And I want to keep elaborating on these, but one other intruding thought that I'm having. Is it true that regardless of our number, whatever our subtype is, sometimes we're drawn to other numbers that have the same subtype? So a social three may be friends most likely with a social seven.
1: Yes, absolutely. So actually, there's a theory that we are more likely to spend time with people who have the same subtype as us than we are people who have the same number as us. Yeah, that we're just drawn to each other because we see the same things as necessary for survival. So it's a lot more comfortable.
0: Okay, that makes so much sense. How did you find out about the Savvy Sauce? Did someone share this podcast with you? Hopefully you've been blessed through the content. And now we would love to invite each of you to share these episodes with friends and help us spread the word about the Savvy Sauce. You can share today's episode or go back and choose any one of your other previous favorites to share. Thanks for helping us out. I've got this feeling of inclusiveness that it was so helpful to hear those three numbers. Can we just go through the rest of them and maybe start with one and work our way up? with how this looks for other numbers with their subtypes?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we have the self-preservation one, which is a little bit more likely to look like a six. They deal most with anxiety. They're focused primarily on striving for perfection. They typically have this deep desire to have full control over their life in an attempt to predict the future. So that can look very six-like. And we have the social one, which takes on the role of example. So they kind of think, like, I know the right way to be. Look at me. I'll show you what a good person is. They tend to be a little bit more rigid and flexible, less adaptable. um, And they're very confident in their view of right and wrong. If they're going to mistype, they might mistype as a 5 And then we have the sexual one, which is focused on reforming other people. So they're not as focused on perfecting themselves, but really can be focused on perfecting others. Um, They can be a little bit impatient, a little bit irritable. They also are very strong and like zealous, and they can really go for what they want, and they feel very passionate about what is good and what is bad. They also don't often question themselves. There's not a lot of self-doubt there. This type is the most likely to deal in what we call trapdoor behavior. So they might say one thing to the world, like this is the right way to be while having kind of a secret relationship to doing the opposite thing. So they might say it's really wrong to smoke, but then like secretly have a smoking problem. So of all the subtypes, they're the most likely to do that. And then we have for our type twos, we have the self-preservation two, which is our counter type, and they can look like a four or a seven. They are more likely to exhibit cute or childlike behavior. They're a lot more playful. Instead of feeling like they have to earn love through action, they more really feel like they should just be loved for existing. Um, So they're more pleasure-seeking. They're often actually dependent on other people, and they're a lot more guarded than other twos. They kind of have this push-pull relationship to people that maybe a four would have. Then then we have the social two. This is the one that can look the most like a three or an eight. They're ambitious. They're influential. They focus on serving environments like large groups of people. They really seek to be close to those in power, you know, in a similar way that a three would in terms of how do we network. They really want to get close to the people who are already successful. They serve others as a method to advance their career or their status. They're also the most aware of their public image and they're often a leader. This one is generally more introverted actually than the other twos are. And then we have our sexual two, which is just the like flattering, flirtatious two. They have the hardest time letting go of love that isn't working for them because they find a lot of their value in those romantic relationships. They seek a strong bond with someone who will meet their needs. So there's kind of like this, I'll flatter you, I'll make you feel good about yourself and then you will meet my needs. Their focus of attention is on really winning over certain individuals. They often just seek to have their needs met by just the one person. So they really focus on how can I make you feel so good that you'll want to be around me and find me irresistible. Then we did type three. So we'll move on to type four and type fours. Their self-preservation is the counter type for our four as well. All fours have this relationship to suffering. The self-preservation four has a conflicted relationship. So it's almost like they want to prove that they can endure a lot of suffering, that they are long suffering. They work really hard to get what others have that they feel they are lacking. So all fours have this sense of there's something that I'm missing that everyone else has. The self-preservation four is going to work really hard to get it. Like they feel like they can earn that. Um, The self-preservation four is often a humanitarian They crave the struggle um, and may find ways to place themselves in the path of struggle. And what this means is like it can be as simple as wearing uncomfortable shoes and proving to yourself that you can handle it, or it can be as big as wanting to climb Mount Everest and wanting to prove that you're capable of doing that. This type can look a little bit more like a one or a three. They also call this one the sunshiny four. So if you have like a really bright, smiley four in your life, they could be a self-pressed four. then we have the social four. This is the most sensitive of the subtypes of four. They crave recognition and understanding through their suffering. So their relationship to suffering is a lot more intimate, and they kind of use it as their path to intimacy. They're more likely to depend on others for help. They have a heightened focus on their emotions, and they often relate to the feeling of being a misfit. This one often also feels like a victim and may... Be quick to help others, but won't take care of their own needs. So this one in sense can look like a six or look like a two. Then we have our sexual four, which is the most competitive of the subtypes of four. They believe that they have suffered so much that they should make others suffer. There's kind of this angry, assertive, demanding revengeful element to the sexual four. They hold a combination of feeling inferior while also craving to feel superior. So they might want to really prove that they're superior, even though internally they don't feel that way as much. This subtype can look like a type eight. Okay. And the
0: countertype, that self-preservation four, what number did you say they most likely look like? They're most likely to look like a three or a seven. And what about the
1: fives? So our five, there's a self-preservation five. This is the most boundaryed of the fives. And it's kind of the clearest example of the five. Like they're the most introverted. There's kind of this belief that the outside world is hostile or intrusive. They struggle with communicating their anger and may withdraw instead of communicating. They're very private, very closed off. We have our social five, which may replace the connection to relationship with a passion for knowledge. So all socials have this desire to connect to the social order, but this one, they're they're more likely to really focus on information over those connected relationships. This type is really in pursuit of a meaningful existence. They really want to live this really important life, and they're they're really only interested in relationships that have shared ideals. Um, They also have a strong sense of right and wrong, can have black and white thinking. Um, It's also the most social of the fives. This subtype can look like a seven or a one. They're highly intellectual, really information-oriented. And then we have the sexual five, which is the counter type. They can look a lot like a four. So they're focused on finding this ideal partnership. So they place value on one-to-one connection. They're really intense, romantic, and emotionally sensitive. This is the type that's most likely to go into like utopian fantasies and a deep, rich inner world. They're the most emotional of the subtypes of five. So if you have a really emotional five in your life, they're probably a one-to-one five. They're really in pursuit of this like ultimate intimacy. They really want to share in full transparency with just one person and having themselves, they want to be seen in full transparency and they want to see you in full transparency. That's their main objective. And then our type six, we have the self-preservation six, which is the most phobic of the subtypes, kind of the most in line with the stereotypes of our six. They're more relationship oriented. They really crave outside support. They're warm and friendly. They worry a lot about disappointing the people in their life, and they have a little bit more of a difficult time making decisions than the other subtypes. This type also carries a lot of shame and guilt for feeling like they have let people down or worry about letting other people down. The social, this type is more comfortable with relying on authority. So they focus on understanding and fulfilling their role in an organization or in a relationship. They want to know what is it that you expect of me and how can I make sure that I'm living up to those expectations? They're in constant pursuit of like, what are the rules here? What are the expectations here? How am I supposed to show up? they believe that everything will go wrong so they really focus on doing the right thing themselves. This type can become a lot more legalistic, a lot more oriented around a belief system and really focused on how can I be in the right here. This type can look a little bit like a type 1 or a type 3. And then we have the sexual subtype of type 6 which is the counter type or what they call the counterphobic 6. All sixes have a relationship to fear, but the counterphobic six, they, instead of running from their fear, they turn toward the fear and lean into strength. So when they're feeling fear, they may believe that you should lean into it and really run toward it. They're bold and they're fierce. They're often focused on being physically strong. They take on like this intimidating stance and they really want to be seen as powerful they have kind of a deep need to be contrarian. So they may focus on being the opposite of the group. So if there's a room of people and they're all really happy, they're going to want to bring that down by being sad or being the, the opposite. If it's a room full of sad people, they might come in really happy and want to really lift the spirits of the room. They're going to kind of try and balance out the energy. And this subtype can look a lot like a type eight. So, our type eights, we have our self preservation eight, which is focused on really going for what they want. They're the least expressive, so they can be a lot more inward. They can look like a five or a one. They're a lot more like direct, productive, and we call it kind of like the quiet strength. So they're not as overtly powerful, but they're just very strong, self confident self-aware, and they just know what they want and what they need and not afraid to go for it. And We have our social, which is the counter type of eight. This type is service-minded. They're loyal. They're friendly. They're aware and protective of the exploitation of other people. They're less quick to anger than the other subtypes and can really find themselves busy with projects or relationships, things they want to do. They do also have this blind spot with their own needs for love or concern. So maybe they feel like, oh, everyone in my life needs me, but I don't need them, which can look like a type two or like a type nine. This type is also a lot more warm, appearing a lot more friendly and a lot more aware of how they're impacting the people around them. Then we have our one-to-one or our sexual subtype, which is the most rebellious, the most contrarian. This type is the one, if you ever meet an eight who's like, yeah, I don't mind being a bad guy, like that is our one-to-one eight. Some eights just really don't mind being kind of conflicting or they don't really care what you think about them, right? They seek power and authority. They focus on all of the pleasures that life can offer them. They're also the most intellectual of the subtypes of eight. And they really value loyalty. They may demand loyalty of others. They may not be as faithful in return, but they really expect loyalty to them. This is the most direct eight. Like you're probably not gonna mistype if you are a a 120.
0: And we won't even have time to get into wings or orientation to time. But one thing I just wanna be respectful of your time, but also ask, could you just elaborate on how we relate to three of the types from different triads. I don't even know if I'm using the right language. Is that a
1: tri-type? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So there's a theory around tri-types, which is that you have a dominant type in every center. So let's say if you're a head type, that would be your dominant type would be your dominant head type. But then you would have a dominant type in the body triad and a dominant type in the feeling triad. And so What this can give you access to is just how these three things play together. There's another way to think about this, which is that we're all nine types. So we all have all nine types inside of us and that there's a stacking. So maybe we have our top three that we have the easiest access to and that all kind of flavors our number, even though we might have one distinct dominant type, these other types can really impact how that shows up. I say with the tri-types and that theory, I really say start with your dominant type. And then once you have a a healthy relationship to that, then kind of start playing with some others and see how they play. And, And it can't hurt to explore even what part of me is every number and how can I play with that and see what that looks like in terms of growth for me. Well, Sarah Jane, I
0: see why you have so much work that you get to do with this because it's an endless journey. And we didn't even get to talk about something you've recently covered on your podcast with the inner child theory. And so if listeners want to connect further online, where would you direct them?
1: Yeah, thank you. So I definitely think the podcast is a great way to get the in-depth information and let's cover the theories and each type and those kind of things. That's, that's all on the podcast, which is Enneagram and Coffee. It's on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app. And then on Instagram, you can find me at Enneagram and Coffee. And I actually have a book coming out that is available for pre-order now called The Honest Enneagram. And there's a link to that in our Instagram bio. So you can easily find that and on our website, EnneagramandCoffee.com.
0: That is so exciting. Congratulations. Thank
1: you. I'm so excited about it I'm pumped.
0: We will link to all of that as well. And I hope everybody gets to pre-order your upcoming book. And Sarah-Jane, I just have one final question for you today. We are called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so as my final question for you today, what is your savvy sauce?
1: Honestly, I would say it's the awareness of just how Even pre-Enneagram in my life is just how everyone has such unique stories, experiences, micro traumas, large traumas, things that we carry with us that flavor the way that we show up in the world. And I think that the work that I'm here to do is to help you be much more comfortable with the fact that you have your own unique path. And that your path to success, your path to love, your path to your relationship to yourself and really liking yourself is going to look so different than everyone else's and that that is available to you and beautiful and shouldn't look like anyone else's.
0: Well, you are such a kind and compassionate woman, and I appreciate all of this teaching you shared with us today. Thank you so much for being my guest.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun.
0: One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news. And I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners and God is perfect and holy. So he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring, him for me, so me for him you get the opportunity to live your life for Him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged.